You're listening to the Cross-Border Interviews with Chris Brown. Welcome back to another live edition of the Cross-Border Interviews with Chris Brown. I am so honored and pleased to have our first of many lined up UCP candidates for the upcoming UCP leadership and ultimately the premier of Alberta, uh, the mayor of Amex, Alberta, Mayor Bill Rock. Mayor Rock, Bill, thank you so much for doing this. It's an honor and a pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on, Chris. I appreciate it. So, uh, Bill, I'm going to start off with a little bit of a warning to the people who are going to be tuning into this via the audio and via video. Um, if Bill's audio goes out or internet go- or his video goes out, it's because he is doing this via rural uh, internet. And sometimes, as I know personally, living up in northern Alberta for a long time or center of Alberta internet, it can be unreliable from time to time. So if he does tune out, we will still stay here, but we'll see if we can connect back with him. So, Bill, thank you so much for doing this yet again, once again. <laughs> You betcha. So, Bill, I, I start off all my interviews with the exact same question for any candidate for political office or any person in political office, and that is, where does your sense of duty to serve come from? Uh, well, I, I guess probably my sense of duty to serve comes from, you know, a history of my family uh, serving. Uh, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, my father, you know, all volunteers in, in numerous organizations, whether they were right societies or stampede boards or you know provincial uh, livestock association uh my, my uh, grandfather i do believe was on the calgary stampede board for 26 years uh, and that's you know and that's back in the 20s and 30s so big job to, to you know to travel you know two hours what we do in two hours now was a big job to head so yeah it uh it, I, I guess it's kind of something you grow up with and you uh, just carry on uh, you got into politics three uh, terms ago, first as a city councillor or a town councillor, I should say, and then as mayor of your community. What made the decision for you to jump into that first municipal election to run for the town council? Uh, well, I, I lived out in a, on an acreage and I moved into Amisk and I, and I opened up a business in Amisk and of course... It, it, it's like so many town councils and municipalities, um, you know, once you become a businessman in the community, they believe now that you should be on council because if you can, you know, if you can get a, a business to survive in a, in a small town, which, you know, we're 217 people, we, uh, we have 22 employees and 217 people. We have a convenience store and a plumbing shop. So, yeah, I, I run in the first, uh, first municipal election. Um, I must has always had a municipal election until his past one, which is very interesting. Uh, you know, I got on council. I uh, I was a councillor. Our mayors are always elected from within our council, so your peers elect you as mayor. And five, a little over five years ago, my peers decided that I am the person that should be their spokesperson and their mayor. Uh, I've been sitting as mayor ever since. Um, so, yeah, we didn't have an election. We were actually acclaimed in this last per, uh, municipal election, first time in 54 years, they haven't had an election. So I'm, I'm going to take that as a sign that we were doing what was right. right. 
which uh, during the next few minutes, during the next half hour, we're going to be talking a lot about rural issues because this is one of the key platforms for your leadership campaign for the UCP is rural issues and getting rural issues on the map. But I want to talk first off, and I'm going to start off with the big question that's probably on everyone's mind is, why is Bill Rock, the mayor of a small town in Alberta, running for the leadership of the UCP and ultimately the premier of Alberta? Well, I guess my, my wife, you know, brought that up to me yesterday. She said, you're mad, you know, at the way things are getting handled in rural Alberta. Rural Alberta is being ignored by the province. Like, you know, Alberta is being ignored by you know, Ottawa, um, and we have three levels of government. We all have a seat at the table. We all do different things, but we all have to support each other. And we went through a series of meetings after COVID here this spring, and, you know, I, I didn't like the answers that we were getting for the reasons that we were not seeing the supports that we were supposed to have. You know, we've had a hospital that's been emergency room that's been closed for two years, no reopening date. Um, you know, we have infrastructure issues. Uh, we have no, they want us to build a 10 year infrastructure plan with one year of funding. Um, then we have our school and I guess this was a trigger, our local school, their budget was cut by $54,000 for two students, right? They we were short two students. They cut our local school budget by $54,000 which means we're losing one and a half, you know, a, a half of a TA and a half of a teacher. Uh, so, you know, they all, and, and the excuse is always, well, you guys are always asking for handouts. Rural Alberta pays a lot of taxes into the province of Alberta. Um, you know, you can look at the carbon tax that the farmers are paying into the province and the federal government right now. You look at the tax that the oil companies are paying. Um, you look at the tax that, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, the working people in rural Alberta are paying, you know, a lot of tax. And when we ask for a little bit back, you know, to have a good school and a good hospital and possibly an ambulance in the neighborhood or, or even remotely close, uh, it's going, well, you know, we just can't do it for you. You know, you guys are going to have to figure out another way. So guess what? I figured out another way. Now, there's a lot to unpack with what you just said there, and I want to dive into a little bit uh, into it as much as deep as possible here. Is this just an UCP issue or has this been going on for some time? Because I worked in a rural municipality and I know that the issues that you talked about, about health care, education, ambulance, is not just an issue that you're facing, but it's an issue that they're facing up in Slave Lake, down in Coaldale. So... Is this an issue that has been going on just under the UCP, but also the PCs and the NDP? The, a lot of these issues, I, I will say, you know, really started to cascade about 15 years ago. Um, I guess I got involved with, you know, political or provincial politics back in 2011, um, you know, because of the same exact same issues or 11 years later, we haven't fixed anything. So I got involved with the Wild Rose Party. I was, uh, you know, a, a vice president of communications for a constituency association. You know, I was, uh, you know, I, I did a lot of events for Daniel Smith. Um, you know, then she crossed the floor, of course. Uh, you know, I did I did fundraising events for uh, Brian Jean. 
I did fundraising events for Jason Kenny. Uh, so this is something that's been going on for 15 years. Um, and, and I think what the big thing was is that the COVID showed us how big the cracks were in our system. You know, that's it's kind of like anything. You know, you don't know where the weak link is until you put stress on the system. You you, you talked about funding for rural communities. Um, traditionally, larger municipalities like Lethbridge or Grand Prairie or Fort McMurray or Calgary, Edmonton would get a bigger pop because that's where the population is. How do you change a system that so heavily favors larger communities than rural communities like yours? Well, actually, we just uh, had a meeting last week about the new, uh, it used to be called the Municipal Sustainability Initiative. And I'm, I'm not sure what the acronym is now. It's FFCF or something. Anyways, uh, no, the, the cities of, of Lethbridge, Grand Prairie, Fort McMurray, uh, Medicine Hat are in the same boat as us small villages. Uh, the new funding model for infrastructure is Calgary and Edmonton will see 60% of all the infrastructure funding in Alberta and our, the rest of the province will see 40%. And they're basing this on population and the, we, we, were, we, we had a very long discussion about how this formula is going to work. And... For a lot of the municipalities, this formula is not going to work. So how do you change that? How do you change that? Because most mayors would be sitting, I, I, my, my cities, my village, my town is more important than your town. So I need more money. So how do you balance that? How do you, and you know that you're the mayor of a small town. So you know, you believe your town is more important than every other town. So how do you balance the balancing act of, supporting all small projects without pissing people off pardon my french okay <laughs> let, let's get something straight here right away i'm running for the leader of the ucp to be the premier of the province to represent all of these people yeah my, my town may get a little bit more <laughs> if i become premier but uh you, you can ask a lot of people in our region i'm i'm a person that is is very regional when i talk my community uh, and, and we've had this discussion with Justice and, and the RCMP and stuff. And they said, well, there's 217 people in your community. I said, no, there's about 4,000 in our community. Oh, well, you're, you know, I said, I take in all the community. I work with other mayors and, and councils and the counties. So uh, how, how do we make it more equitable? Uh, we, we have to look at, at resources and where the industries are, uh, which I, I can I can bring up uh, the Hardesty Terminal, which is only 17 kilometers up our up the road from us. The Hardesty Terminal moves at a very minimum of 150 million dollars a day worth of product through it. Uh, I've been told there's there's estimation in, in the next year or so there'll be days when that terminal is moving 430 million dollars a day of product. And in comparison, the Port of Vancouver does 220 million dollars a day to you know 500 million dollars a day so we, we have a facility that's bigger than the port of vancouver yeah we can't get an rcmp officer in our neighborhood uh, you know th th those are the comparisons so there's a lot of very smart people like i said i was at a municipal caucus meeting last week uh, a lot of very smart people we came up uh, we did some brainstorming uh, we, we've come up with some pretty good ideas. The problem that we found is now the getting the provincial government to listen to the municipalities. Uh, I'll give you a breakdown. 
there's 200 cities in, in Alberta. Uh, there's 2,700 municipal representatives that live in their community every day, work in their community every day. And, and we have, you know, 87 MLAs. And there seems to be a breakdown now of communication between us and them. Uh, I know, you know, some people are trying to fix it, but we, we have to get that fixed because we're the eyes and the ears of, of our, our MLAs. Um, so, like I said, we've got to get better communication. Like I say, there's a lot of smart people out there who will come up with a very good formula. I, I want to talk about a provincial issue now because you said you are technically running for the entire province to represent everyone. Now, the UCP have been in power for three years and there has been turmoil within that party for, let's say, the better part of the last year. How do you unify a party to unite them to win the next election to represent everyone because that's what a lot of people are looking for right now is someone who will unify the party to represent all Albertans to ensure that their voices are heard. How do you do that? And why are you the best candidate to do that? Uh, well, I think I'm the best candidate to do that because I belong to uh, constituency associations for, for many years. Um, the reason I run in the 2015 election in Wetaskiwin Camrose is because Wetaskiwin Camrose uh, Constituency Association was in problems. They, they, well, they didn't have one. So uh, myself and, and two other fellows, uh, we offered up our time to go to Wetaskiwin Camrose to get a constituency association going. Uh, what I've been hearing on the road is that the constituency associations have lost their voice. And and the outline of a constituency association is that they, they represent 30 board members across their constituencies. They're supposed to bring that back to, you know, back to the constituency meetings of which the MLAs need to attend. And the MLAs need to start listening to the constituencies. Uh, and there, there's been some disconnect there. And I, I, I'm going to blame some of that on the leadership. If I become the leader, this is one thing and, and that I will make mandatory. There will be severe rules of engagement of MLAs with their associations and their constituencies. You know, there, I've, I've talked to some constituencies that don't even know, you know, CA boards that haven't seen their MLAs in, in over a year. You, you, you talked about uh, engagement, engagement, engagement. Um, do you believe that the UCP can do a better job of engaging the people of Alberta? Because there has been speculation that has been a very top-down government and not reversed with the constituents associations, the constituents talking to their MLAs and then bringing the issues forward. How do you reverse that? As the mayor of a small town, you know your constituents is what votes for you and they are the ones that are being affected by the decisions you make. Can you change that on a provincial level where you're no longer a top-down government? Uh, I, I do believe I can because, like, I'm a small businessman and I've been a small businessman the majority of my life. Uh, so, you know, yes, I get the final say as a small businessman. But small businessmen do not operate without the support of numerous other people. You know? So I have lawyers, I have engineers, I, you know, I have suppliers, you know, and I have staff. 
And, you know, you don't survive in, in a small business in a small community for as long as I have without, you know, I'm just the head of the operation. I'm, I'm the guy that ultimately, I guess, has the final decision. But no, I understand my customers have the final decision. And, and that's the type of knowledge I would take to being leader of the party is, um, you know, you, you have a team, you know, you have a spokesperson for the team, but you have a team and you have to listen to the team. And, and that became very apparent that we weren't listening to the team when, you know, Todd Lowen was kicked out of the party and Drew Barnes was kicked out of the party. Um, I, I'm one of those people that believes everybody has a voice. You know, you may not agree with what they have to say, but but they need to be able to say it. There should never be any fear of an MLA going to a caucus meeting and saying, my constituents don't, my constituents don't want us to do this, you know, and, and you can say, well, okay, you, you put that to a democratic vote. Okay, we're going to move forward with that bill. But if you wish to vote against it on behalf of your constituents, that should be the right of any MLA. You're talking about more free votes and more uh, better representation for uh, the local MLAs. One of the things that you've proposed on your website, on, on your social media pages, is reforming the Recall Act to ensure that your local MLAs are accountable. You've said on those infographics that you've put out that the current legislation, as is, doesn't go far enough. How far would you want it to go? How far do you want MLAs to be accountable to their constituencies? Well, you got to remember who's writing their paychecks. It's not the provincial government writing the paychecks. It's the taxpayers writing the paychecks. I think the policy that we have up on our Facebook page is very realistic. Um, you know, where you, you need a certain amount of signatures from the people that have been engaged in politics who have voted, right? Um, so, and, and then, uh, you know, of course it's 50 plus one of those. I don't think it's realistic to ask that 75% of your constituency, which would be, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 36,000 to 40,000 people, 75% of, you know, to get 40,000 signatures when only 22,000 people actually have enough interest to come out and vote, um, is, is realistic. So say you had 22,000, you know, people that that came out and, and uh, uh, voted in the last election. You know, a realistic number is, uh, is you know, 10 to 12,000 people that need to sign. If you, if you have 10 or 12,000 people that are upset with the job that you're doing, uh, yeah, you need to be recalled. Do you not think that then that causes an endless supply of elections or are you comfortable with that? Are you comfortable with giving the voice of uh, giving the people a voice in the direction that their government is going? And I, I know we're talking about an issue that is so far not an issue that are a lot of people's minds. But I like this type of conversation because it tells me what type of leader you will be as someone who would give their local constituencies a better understanding and a better role in politics. Well, there's always this this five percent or ten percent on each end of every issue, and and as a mayor of a village, believe you me, I have to deal with on a regular basis. So, what we always end up doing is we, you know, you have to you listen to the five percent here and the five percent on that end, but then you have to do with the ninety percent in the middle, 
walk done. And really, realistically, I, I don't get an agenda when I'm the mayor of a town. I do what the people of the town ask me to do. And uh, so I, do, I don't believe if you have good candidates in place and people that are working hard, that they are going to be replaced. It's just like any other business. If you have a good employee that, you know, that is, you know, the people are happy with, uh, that employee will be with you many years. And, you know, just, just to blow my own horn, I, uh, many of my employees have been with me for five to eight years. Wow. And the longest is 12. We got married on Saturday. Oh, wow. Um, I want, I want to talk about one of the big issues that was brought up at the debate last week that the, uh, an organization held here in Alberta that you were not involved in, but I want to get you on record here on the show because there are people who tune in from across Alberta who listen to our show. Um, autonomy versus sovereignty versus, uh, federal jurisdictions. Um, where's your stance on autonomy versus sovereignty within the province of Alberta? Well, I, I just had this discussion uh, at the, my last event, and, and everybody talks about you know sovereignty and separation and autonomy and this. And um, you know, if if you want to, I've been you know been in business for many years. Like I said, uh, if you want to negotiate a contract with anybody, you always have to negotiate that contract, you know, from a position of strength, right? If, if the other party believes that you're weak. You know, you're, you're going to lose every time, you know, so therefore we have to, we have to look at having a referendum and I'm going to follow the APP on this because I've read all of their stuff and, uh, uh, the, uh, APP has a very good outline on some of their, on, on most of their stuff. So, uh, a referendum in 2025 would be a way to go. And. You have to have that referendum uh, or the, uh, you know, the federal government's going to go, well, you weren't serious about negotiating and, uh, you know, because you're not going to have a referendum. Uh, autonomy, yes, like Quebec has got autonomy and there's Nova Scotia, you know, we need to follow some of their leads, but we have the own, our own things we need to do out here. And like I say, to negotiate a good contract with the federal government, you have to have a plan B. And I think a referendum in 2025 would be a good plan B um, just to uh, make sure that the federal government knows you're serious. Jason Kenney has had a hard time uh, fighting with Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada. Why do you think you would be a better position or better person to negotiate and to deal with Justin Trudeau when J uh, Jason Kenney, who love him or hate him because he's the outgoing leader, um, didn't have a good time trying to negotiate a better deal for Alberta? Why do you think you'd be a better person to do that? Well, I, I'm really going to go out on a limb with this one <laughs> because I've been married nearly 30 years. And I, I, somehow I negotiated with my wife enough to be able to run for premier of the province. <laughs> I love it, Bill. I love it. And I love your wife. For a... <laughs> I got to give my wife a lot of credit because she gets up in the morning and she's having coffee and she, and she starts thinking, my God, what is he going to do today? We opened a convenience store nine years ago. We were going to only have it open six months. We're going to hire a manager. You can believe she throws that at me just about every day, you know, 530 in the morning when she's going to work. 
But in all seriousness. No, I, I but in all seriousness, you 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 know, there, there's always two sides to negotiating. And and you know, I always say I will take the fight to Ottawa, which uh, you can believe me, I, I I will take the fight. But I, I think I'm I'm a pretty stable negotiator. You know, there's always give and take in negotiations. Um, the biggest problem you have right now is trying to get Justin Trudeau to even sit down at the table to negotiate anything. Um, and the other other thing we see, you know, quite often is that there's ten provinces negotiating with with the, you know with Ottawa, and we got to get all ten provinces on the same side to negotiate, or we have to have to look at sovereignty and and a referendum and and you know autonomy. Uh, you know, there's there's lots of good platforms out there, uh, uh, which, you know, it, it's kind of one of those things you're going to have, kind of have to combine about four different platforms and have a good plan. Um, so I, I do believe, you know, we're sending $15 billion a year to Ottawa. So I think you're in a position to negotiate with that $15 billion. And, uh, you know, we haven't made it very far in the Supreme Court, but, uh, you know, with anything. But have we been fighting the right fights? And that's the other thing, you know, you, you, you fight the fights you can win. You know, you don't, you don't fight fights that uh, are, are, aren't going to be good for the people of Alberta. One of the big issues that has come out recently, and this is a federal versus provincial issue, is the idea of a provincial police force. Earlier today, we're recording this on June 27th, um, uh, a list of mayors from municipalities across this province came out and said, we want to keep the RCMP. Um, what's your uh, uh, opinion and what's your stance on a provincial police force versus the RCMP? And do you favor going towards a provincial police force? Well, I, I, I've been involved in these meetings now for, well, it'll be going on about a year and a half. Uh, a lot of them back in this spring. Uh, people have to remember in 2032 that our contract with the RCMP is up. So in, before 2032, 10 provinces have to come to an agreement what we want for policing. And then we have to negotiate with the federal government on, on that policing issue. It was brought to my attention by you know a, a federal government person that the federal government wants to also get out of community policing. So, you know, you have 10 provinces that have to negotiate with the federal government. You know, we see that the federal government hasn't been negotiating things very well with us in the past. So we're, we're going to be, you know, negotiating in a bad spot. Uh, we're negotiating with the federal government who wants to get out of community policing. So they're not going to want to negotiate a good contract. And I've sat down with, with, with quite a few RCMP officers and, and brought this to light with them. Um, the RCMP just, just got a union, right? And uh, so I see, you know, the way the negotiations are going, that the federal government is going to leverage the provincial, uh, the provinces against the, you know, the RCMP union, and they're going to try and play us against each other. And somebody's going, well, what do you mean by that? I said, well, you know, I know how negotiations go. They'll come to us and say, oh, you know, you're going to have to pay twice as much for overtime for the RCMP. Then they'll go back to the RCMP meeting and go, oh, the provinces aren't paying any overtime, you know. And and you remember, we got to do this in the next 
sounds like a long time, but not when you negotiate. Um, we're very fortunate with our RCMP. We have great RCMP in our neighborhood. They do a wonderful job. The other thing that people forget is that there's only um, about 2,300 RCMP officers that are policing these municipalities. And when those 2,300 police officers, they believe will all leave, that's not true. We will still have 500 RCMP officers within Alberta. So uh, the problem we're having with the province is the funding model. And this is where I know the municipalities are coming out and, and, and are against the provincial police force because the province is going to download that cost onto the municipalities, just like this past funding model um, that they downloaded onto it. Uh, our particular uh, MD out there pays just over a million dollars, or is next year, I think it's a million dollars a year in police funds funding and uh, they have five officers uh, so do the math I, I want to just uh, hold you to a little feet to the fire here because I don't think you answered the question what's your opinion on it do you believe that the province should go to an RCMP station or are you being are you or do you believe that or do you believe that it should stay with the RCMP or do you believe that it should go to a provincial police force no, I, I believe we should stay with the RCMP. Uh, we had problems with the RCMP about eight years ago. Uh, I got very involved in it about five years ago. Uh, we took a lot of concerns. The RCMP listened to our concerns, uh, corrected our concerns, and uh, I'm, I'm very happy with the RCMP. They they have a lot of depth. They, you know, a lot of depth, and uh, they, they've changed their model in the last five years. So I think people have, are remembering what happened 10 years ago. I want to thank you for answering that, and I apologize for asking it again. I just want to make sure I got that on record. Uh, the Player, last last largest area I one. I was giving you the political answer before. <laughs> and I saw right through it. I was going to call you your worship, but I saw right through it, Bill. Um, the last area I want to talk about is one of the biggest ones. That is the reason why we're kind of in this situation is COVID-19. Uh, the UCP was accused of mishandling the COVID-19 situation, the pandemic, whatever you want to call it. Um, how well do you think the uh, province handled the last two years when it came to the health file and the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, I, I'm one of the ones that was involved with it from day one, uh, because you know, being the mayor of a, of a municipality, we we got the word on a Friday afternoon of what supposedly was coming, you know, coming, um, you know, we, our council sat down and, and, you know, we made certain decisions. Four months of the pandemic, I believe that the, the government did an excellent job. They, they used a lot of uh, information from disaster emergency management people in the field, Alberta health services and all that. But, Somewhere along the lines, and, and well, and then I, I can give you probably the time that it happened was it was a Wednesday before Christmas, and we were told that we had to go, and uh, the church wasn't allowed to have their church service, the school wasn't allowed to have their Christmas concert, the seniors weren't allowed to visit their grandchildren, their grandchildren couldn't come to their house. So I'm the guy, I'm the guy that had to go out and do that. Right. I had to phone the people and I, you know, and I didn't go out and do it. I had to phone the people because I wasn't allowed to go see them and and tell them, you know, no, I'm shutting this down. I'm locking this down. This is the way it is. And then I turn on the news on Saturday and I'm going, oh, 
there's the people who were in the meeting there in Hawaii and Mexico and Europe. So that was kind of the end of end of believing a lot of stuff. Um, and then when we got into the vaccines, um, that I believe that the role of the government was to ensure that there was sufficient vaccines for every Alberta, Albertan. Then we we tried to bribe them. That didn't work. So now we're blackmailing them. And, and that is so wrong on so many levels. Um, you know, we uh, we had another situation where, you know, if something in our municipality wasn't right, that we would be informed by Alberta Health Services, uh, you know, so that we could work, you know, on, on correcting the situation. And, and I got a call and said, well, you will no longer be informed of what's going on in your community. And, you know, like I said, this is where the disconnect is municipalities and the government. We were the ones that, that made sure that, you know, our citizens were safe. We, you know, sanitized our playground. We made sure our water systems were secure. You know, we made sure our transportation was secure. And then all of a sudden we, you know, after, you know, eight, 10 months, we weren't good enough to do that anymore. We're going to look after that for you. And that, you know, that's when they did a very, very poor job of it. I don't think they realized what, you know, the 2,700 elected officials were doing in their community. So what would you have done differently? If you were premier, if you were in Jason Kenney's uh, position uh, during this whole time, what would Premier Rock have done differently? Well, I know there was a lot of external pressure on him by both the federal government and the World Health Organization, you know, and, and you know, some of these lockdowns and this vaccination. Um, you know, honestly, we, we had meetings with Kenny by Zoom and on the phone. There was, you know, anywhere usually from two to 300 of us. Uh, but we all of a sudden, they just quit listening to us. So what I would have done, I, I guess, would have been you know, we, we were doing a good job up to a certain point. I would have just kept listening. Um, I want to turn to some questions that some people submitted because I've asked for some people to submit some questions. And if, hopefully you're willing to answer some questions here, if that's okay. Try to answer them, I should say. But my, my first question is, we're in this position because Premier Kenny got 51.4% at the leadership race. Do you mind me asking how you voted in that leadership review for the UCP? Yeah, I voted by mail. <laughs> the best political answer I've get, you've given to me tonight, <laughs> Bill. Um, next question is, how will you represent everyone? Not just the UCP, but the people of the NDP, the Liberals, the Freedom Conservatives, the Wild Rose Independents. How does a, how does a person like yourself go and represent everyone and not just the United Conservative Party and listen to the NDP, the Liberals, because that's what people are looking for, I think. Well, th this is why we have 87, 87 MLAs, right? And this is why we have Parliament, is so that all of the people are heard, right? Um, myself, personally, I, I think our, our, our political system is a little broken. Um, you know, I like the municipal level of, of doing it where you know there are no parties we'll never get there there are no parties everybody is there to represent their ward or their area you know and then you know many of them back to like us they 
know, elect a reeve or a mayor from within those councils to be their spokesperson. Um, just because you voted MDP doesn't mean you don't deserve a vote as much as the guy across, you know, you know, the guy that voted PC. Uh, th there's 87 people there. And then that's what parliament is there for, you know, is, is you, you debate things back and forth. And, you know, at the end of the day, the 87 representatives from across Alberta need to need to do the best job they can for all Albertans, not just only for their constituents, but, you know, for all Albertans. What would you do on day one if you were to win this leadership? What would be your first act as both premier and the leader of the United Conservative Party? Uh, well, that, that that's a very, very tough one. Everybody keeps saying, I'll call a referendum, I'll, you know, do this, I'll do that. Uh, you know, on, on day one, I, I think, you need a team meeting to get everybody on board. I think you need to lay out some rules of engagement and uh, make sure that everybody's going to be represented in the next election. Uh, one of the things you're going to happen, no matter who, which one of us wins as leader, is you've only got five months to prove to the people of Alberta that you can be the leader and and take Alberta forward. So you've got to hit the ground running. Uh, everybody says, what are you going to do one, day one? I believe there's probably at least five or six things that need to be done and need to be started the day you walk in the door. Um, there's so going to be what are, those, what are those five or six pressing issues that you're talking about? Well, we, we, we have pressing issues with healthcare. We have pressing issue with, uh, with, uh, education. We have pressure. Um, we have, uh, you know, pressing issues with Ottawa. And we also, you know, with the, with the states on, on getting some pipeline. So you, you've got to get the unions involved with a plan to come up with a better, you know, better delivery of a product. You know, you have to have the unions on board with whatever plan you are. Otherwise, you, you're coming up with a plan and you're going up against, you know, 200,000 people that don't like your plan. You need them on board to make sure that your plans are going to work uh, and, and are workable. Uh, when it comes to infrastructure, you know, back to the same thing. There's 2,700 people out there that drive up and down their roads every day. You know, those are those are people you need to listen to. Um, you know, uh, uh, probably first day is 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 put Justin Trudeau on notice. You are uh, planning a big tour of uh, Alberta in the coming days. Uh, like you said at the beginning, you were supposed to be up in Grand Prairie, but due to some issues and due to some uh, events that have to be down here, you, you've put that on hold for a few days. What are you expecting to hear from Albertans when you crisscross this province? Because if you go up to Grand Prairie, you go up to Fort McMurray, you go down to Lethbridge, you're going to hear something different from each of them. But what is the big thing that you think you're going to hear from Albertans when you crisscross the province? Uh, well, I've already done a couple of fairly big tours already, and and it's actually not different anywhere. I've talked to lots of people on, on Facebook and, and on the phone and text messages. Uh, the Right now, inflation, the carbon tax, uh, the price of fuel, the price of utilities is, is, is killing families. Um, our MP just sent me some statistics here yesterday, which sends out to all of the constituents so that we all have them. You know, uh, four months ago, 
or five months ago, the average, you know, 50% of the population believed they were one paycheck away from being bankrupt. Um, that now is 60% of the population believe they're $200 away from being bankrupt. Um, one in six uh, Canadians is going to be using the food banks in the next four months. Those, those are problems. And governments are upping taxes. You know, we're taking more tax, more tax, more tax. And, you know, we, that's one of the first things we, well, say on day one also is, is we've got to put the money back in the pocket of the people. I know there's been some suggestions that we know we could send them all a $500 check. Unfortunately, when government sends you a $500 check, you had to pay them $1,500 to get the $500 back. You got to leave it in, leave it in the pocket of the pocket of the people. Um, you know, the the utility the utility rates. I was in the room when when the NDP government announced that uh, they negotiated the deal with the power companies, you know, to transition away from coal. And I was sitting next to a very smart man, and he said, "I read that contract. The uh, utility companies put, you know, one sentence in there that we're all going to pay for for another 20 years. So we, we've got to renegotiate." our utilities we got to get our utilities down so they're a realistic number um yeah there, there, there's a lot of things to do first day you're in there so my last question to you before my second last question to you bill is this why should people take out a membership and vote for you as the next ucp leader and effectively the next premier of the province of alberta well i I, I'm, I'm an independent uh, candidate in the, in the sense that I, you know, I have come from rural Alberta. One says, you know, can you take on Ottawa? Well, if a small town mayor is willing to, you know, take on the job, but you know, run for the UCP party in the premier's office, you believe you me, I'm willing to take on anything else. Uh, it, 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 it's like my grandfather always told me if you uh, if you don't vote don't bitch <laughs> you know if, if you don't like what is happening take out a membership and vote your conscience vote for the person that can do the job for you and i'm hoping that you know a lot of rural alberta and even the cities you know will look at me and say okay here's a guy that is not a career politician here's a guy that's a businessman here's a guy you know that's a you know a grandfather. Here's a guy that's been, you know, on a council of a small village. You know, it's a labor of love, the council of a small village for my paycheck. Um, this this is an everyday Albertan that we believe can can speak up for us. My last question to you, Bill, and this is the big one. This is the this is the million dollar question. We've talked a lot. Yeah, I can <laughs> wasn't that question but okay next question is how can people get involved i'm assuming like a lot of campaigns out there you're run by a lot of volunteers how can people learn more about you how can people reach out and ask you a question what is the uh, avenues that they can do that okay well we're we're on facebook at uh, on a political page it's the one i have with a suit it's uh, just bill rock political page uh, our website is up and running now, so it's really difficult. It's billrock.ca. <laughs> and if they want to email us, it's just bill at billrock.ca. We're trying to keep it, you know, simple. We make it easy. Uh, um, 
For those who are yeah, listening, before Sunday. before you jump in there, Bill, sorry. For those who are listening, the links will be in the show notes. So if you're watching this at a later time, scroll down and just check it out because the Facebook link, the Twitter link, the website link will be there as well. So you don't have to try and remember how to spell Bill Rock. I know that seems hard sometimes, but it it's there for those people who can't remember. <laughs> well, you know, the other thing is, is, is follow Chris Brown. Right, because Chris Brown is going to talk about this. You log in, watch every show he has, because he may mention me. You know, you follow follow your uh, follow the small media, Western Standard. Uh, we're we'll give them a little plug. They're following us very closely too. Well, we will be following you as well. I'm looking forward to meeting you in person while you're here in Calgary. Um, remind, remember, as Bill said. If you do not vote, if you are a card-carrying member of the UCP, if you believe in the morals and the values that best represent you are in Bill, take out a membership, buy a membership, get involved, get active, volunteer on a campaign, and then don't bitch and complain when your candidate that you didn't vote for or didn't support because you're just too lazy to go buy a $10 membership didn't win. Thank you, Bill, for doing this. It's been an honor and a freaking pleasure to chat with you tonight. Yeah, thanks a lot, Chris. Have a good night. We you appreciate too. all you're doing for us. Well, thank you. So with that, I want to remind everyone, have yourself an excellent rest of your day. And remember, get out from behind social media from time to time and go have a goddamn conversation with somebody. You'd be surprised what it actually does for a democracy. So with that, have yourself an excellent day. And remember, everyone, keep talking. Cross-Border Interviews with Chris Brown was produced and edited by Miranda Brown Associates Incorporated. To learn more about us, visit crossborderinterviews.ca.